On this week's Boko Radio, we finally talk football. We preview the entire Big Ten and Iowa State to get you ready for the 2019 season. We also talk about Kids Day, Media Day, and get our first listener voicemail. Sit back, relax, and get ready for the boom. Unbeaten no more. Piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes. But when his number was called, seven got six. Welcome to Spoko Radio, presented by Blackheart Gold Pants, SB Nation's community for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm your host, DC. With me, as always, it's Jerry Sherwin. Jerry, what's going on? Just another lovely weekend in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. SummerSlam's going on. I got it on a little TV next to me. It's a great day to be alive, boys. Good stuff, as always. And we are also joined by the people's champ, David Johnson. Champ, how are you? I'm great. I'm ready to delve into some uh, Big Ten football since we've covered all the teams this week. I'm excited to discuss it. We are giving you guys a full breakdown of the Big Ten plus Iowa State this week. We are jumping into football because we can no longer wait. But before we do that, make sure you guys are are subscribing to our podcast on the Blackheart Gold Pants podcast feed wherever you guys get podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, We are everywhere, so make sure you are subscribing. Make sure you're sharing with your friends. Football season's right around the corner, and uh, we would love to be entertaining everybody all football season. And follow us on Twitter at BHGP, at Shy People's Champ, at Jerry Sherwin, and I am at Dave Cray. And also, we have our voicemail line. We we started it last week, and we have a voicemail to play, but that number is 224-661-0909. We want to hear from you guys. Drop a voicemail with live reactions to games during the season. If you got some predictions for us before the next game, you got hypothetical questions to kick things off. Any of any and all voicemails are accepted. We'll play the best ones each week. And like I said, we have our first one for for the show. So let's uh, give it a listen. What's up, Spoko Radio? This is Z from the Quad Cities. I love what you guys are doing. Keep it up. I just have one gripe about your top five or top six list from the last week's episode. How do you guys not mention the wave? It's one of the best traditions, new traditions in college football. It's very cool. The Children's Hospital plays such a huge part in the University of Iowa and Iowa City and the state as a whole. And and anything you can do to acknowledge the kids up there is so cool. I think that was a big miss. But other than that, I love what you're doing. Um, I have one question for you guys, though. Um, Which player in this year must exceed expectations in order for the Hawks to get back to Indianapolis? And why is that player Michael Sleep Dalton? Punting is winning. Thanks, boys. Thank you, Z, for uh, for the call, for the voicemail, for the thoughts. Guys, first thing, react to Z's thought on us missing the wave. I think it's a total, totally good call-out. And uh, let's get your your answer to his question. We'll use that as our kind of kickoff, our our outside zone to kick the show off. Who is the one player that must exceed expectations for Iowa to get back to Indianapolis? Jerry, we'll start with you. 
Well, first, I want to say, Z, you're absolutely right. Um, we kind of had this brought to our attention a little bit throughout the week. The wave is something that I think it wasn't purposely missed, but I think the three of us kind of got a little too much nostalgic about our time on campus. And when we were on campus, it was 2007 to 2011 range. In between there, Champ was a little bit earlier than that. But um, the wave wasn't a thing yet that the Children's Hospital was just being built by the time we left. So um, I, that was a miss by us, but it's definitely in our hearts. And I think if we had a chance to redo those again, Champ probably makes a top seven. I probably, me and DC, probably make ourselves a top six because why stop at five? And we take a little... Uh, cake from champ there but going to his question i think the i don't have one player i have a group of course because it's me and i think it's the running backs shocking i know but the running backs are the 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 players that need to step up and they need to outperform what they're expected because we've talked about it for the last couple episodes the running backs last year just didn't get the job done third down third and short we just weren't converting first downs and that's troublesome when you're a team like iowa who just has some of the best offensive linemen year in and year out so i think torn young makai Sargent, those two need to have spectacular years both of them need to get to about 800 850 yards a piece i think for Iowa to really, really be in the national title picture. I like that pick. Champ, what, are, what about you? We'll throw it over to you. Uh, first off, I agree with Jerome's uh, sentiments there about the hospital and the wave. I mean, yeah, that I told Z this week when he brought it to my attention that uh, it, it was a lot of nostalgia, like Jer said. we I was bringing stuff back of when I was in school. The wave wasn't there when I was in school, but yeah, definite miss on our part. It's an awesome tradition, one of the best in all sports, not just college sports. Um, in terms of the player, I, I actually followed the question. I picked one player, not a group like our boy fence rider Jerome over here. Uh, I went with Amir Smith-Marset. That's my guy. I think everybody talks about Smith and, you know, our you know Oliver Martin possibilities, but I think it's Amir Smith-Marset. I think if he exceeds expectations, not only receiving-wise, but special teams-wise, he's a game-changer on special teams. One of, if not the best returners in all of football. He can give you great field position, shorten up the field for your offense, and then he's a playmaker on offense. You just have to find a way to get the ball in his hands, whether it's on runs, whether it's on you know quick passes or deep passes. Any way you can get the ball in his hands, I think, is going to help this offense tremendously. And I think if he exceeds expectations, it could be a very special year in Iowa City. I agree with what you guys both said about the wave, about the Children's Hospital. A miss, definitely on our part, but I think we were we were caught in the moment from when we were in school, for sure. Z, to answer your question, I don't have a player, so again, I'm kind of taking the J right here, but if this person does not exceed ex- exceed expectations... Michael Sleep Dalton will be the key factor in us getting back to Indianapolis. My pick is Brian Ferentz. Brian Ferentz needs to elevate his play calling, his d- d- diversifying up the offense, and, and so they're, it's less predictable. If there's even before Oliver Martin's kind of like considered here, Iowa has enough weapons on offense to be multiple and to, ca- to not allow defenses to know what's coming before that play is coming. It's, it's something that you'll see me on Twitter harping all season long. It's 11 personnel. It's one tight end and one running back. We do not need to run. I know we love the fullback in Iowa City, but we do not need the fullback to run an outside zone play. Throw out a trips receiver set. Throw out another th- throw. You can even move a tight end over. You can run the tight end side. 
but you have to be less predictable on offense. And if Iowa does do that this year, and that's all on Brian Ferentz, Iowa can be extremely successful, and there's no reason why they wouldn't be able to get back to Indianapolis, in my mind. Yeah, you're not going to hear an argument from me there, DC. We know my thoughts on Brian Ferentz, so that's a good call. Yes. What do you got, Jer? No, I th- I, you're absolutely right, and I think Brian is going to do that. I think, like you mentioned, the – the amount of talent on offense right now is just too vast and too wide for Kirk to, or whoever to mandate that they stick to their normal plans. When you have a guy like Makai Sargent and you have another guy like Torin Young, both those guys can be out there at the same time. Same thing with Ivory Kelly Martin, who just continues to be forgotten in the running back group. He's also a game changer and a game breaker. So if you have him out there with an Amir Smith-Marset, like that's just a lot of speed on the field that Iowa's never, ever had before. And when you pair them up with a Brandon Smith, who's just another big target that should be able to fill with Noah Fant, like these are the things that Kurt or Brian's going to be able to play with. And he needs to finally show that he's going to be the future head coach of this team because that's what's going to happen now that Bart has been re-signed. It's the next thing to kind of incorporate into Iowa football. And it's a great kind of jumping off point into our next event because media day was on Friday. And we had the kids day, so we got to see some of the offense, but we have some Kirk quotes. So we figured we'd take one of these and play Kirk in translation. Again, thank you, Z, for the call. Kirk in translation. Thank you, Jerry, for the song. Thank you again for the call, Z. Again, you guys can call us at 224-661-0909 and leave us a voicemail like Z did. But let's move on to Kirk in translation. It was media day on Friday. We're not going to have a whole bunch of quotes to kind of go through because we want to get to the Big Ten preview for you guys this week. But we did have one, and it's kind of building out on my call out to Z's question. But here's what Kirk said. It's it's kind of the end of a quote on what on regarding trick plays on special teams. And he says, you know, if it's one more way to make somebody have a tougher time preparing for us or keeping them on edge, then yeah, we'll definitely try to be smart about that. And to me, it goes back to kind of what, and it's taking this out of context a little bit. But I think Kirk's alluding to the fact is that these guys know they need to be tougher for teams to scout against. They need to, they can't be so predictable and expect to be successful. So it might just be in the veil of special teams, but I'm choosing to believe as Kirk's kind of throwing up as, hey, we're going to be a little bit different on offense. And we want to make sure that people understand that we're not going to be so predictable and easy to defend every single week. Am I misinterpreting that, Jer Champ? What do you guys think? Champ, go for it. Uh, no, I think you're right on. It's like you like we discussed. We need to have different personnel groups out there. We need to make people think when we're on the field. I mean, it's it can't just be the same personnel, the same formations, the same plays we've been running. We have to change it up. You know, if you have two tight ends out there, you know, a fullback and a running back, you, you can throw a pass play every now and then with that type of personnel. Or, you know, if you have three wide outs and a running back, you can stretch them out and run the ball, just like you said in the last point, DC. Just because we have a specific personnel out there doesn't mean we can't change a script a little bit, run some different type of plays. And, yeah, we need to do that to be successful. To me, this – and I think there was another quote out there too where Kirk kind of said, like, nobody has to beat me over the head with a baseball bat to do trick plays and stuff. To me, this is just showing that Kirk's giving up the reins. And that's what we all kind of want him to do a little bit. Like, yes, we still want Kirk to be the main, like we want him to be the CEO. 
Do your thing, Kirk. Make sure that the team's running as smooth as possible. Make sure everybody's happy. Be a player coach. Make sure the offensive line's exactly where they need to be. But all the other position groups have such great talent as coordinators and coaches that are there with them. Just let them be. Let them do their thing. Trust them to make the right decisions because this coaching staff is able and willing to do that. I think this is Kirk saying, like, I am more than willing to listen to these guys. I trust these guys. And from here on forward, it's going to be a group effort. Totally agree. Let's fingers crossed that we get some different offensive looks this season. It'll be quite the experience. I think we all think that if we get some advanced play calling that we uh, we haven't expected in Iowa City in a while. All right, guys. Should we get into the Big Ten preview? Let's do it. All right. So here's how it's going to work this week, guys. We each took we took the 14 teams in the Big Ten, including Iowa, and added Iowa State to give us an even 15 for the three of us. And what we did is we divided them up. And we took, in, we took a real headline that's already been kind of a story that's been written this year on each team. And we're going to use that as our preview for that team, kind of build off of that discussion. And then we're going to wrap up the discussion on each team with a fake headline that will be run at the end of the season as a kind of a prediction of how that, this season's going to go for those teams. So we each have five teams. We're going to each take turns going through. There's no set order. Whatever you guys want to pick is your first team to go through. Do whatever you feel that you want to talk about first. Uh, Jer, why don't you kick things off? Who do you want to kick, kick, start talking about? Let's start things off with Michigan, who a lot of people think is actually going to win not only the Big Ten East, but be the team that's going to represent the Big Ten in the uh, title playoff picture this year. Um, I found two headlines, one of which I want to bring up right away because it has to do with Iowa. And the headline that I found says, Michigan's tight ends think they can be as good as TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant. And... I thought that was a very interesting headline. I went into it, and Sean McKeon and Nick Eubanks are the two be- are their two tight ends who are saying that they're the best in the country. Obviously, Josh Gaddis, who has come over from Alabama, he's also touting them in his new system that those guys are going to get get going here. But I, I just thought it was interesting because I looked up their stats from last year to see where these two best tight ends are that are going to magically become Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, and. McCann caught 14 passes for 122 yards and a touchdown last year. And Eubanks caught eight passes for 157 yards and a touchdown. So I'm sold. Whoopee, Michigan, way to go. Tight end you. Wow. 22 <laughs> combined catches from those two. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a good weekend of Noah Fan and TJ Hawkinson. They I mean, there were some games where they combined for about 15 to 20 catches. So I mean, come on, boys. You're going to have to have a little uh, better seasons there if you want to compare yourself to two first-round draft picks. Yeah, it's that's not kind of inspiring a lot of confidence there. Jerry, what do you got? So, yeah, not a lot of confidence, which gets me back into the Josh Gaddis part of it. I, I've been reading a lot of stuff, and the fact that, like, did you know that he learned in his first job, the first person that hired him was John Shoup, John Shoup of the Chicago Bears? Oh, my God. Yeah, that was the first guy to give him a shot at coaching. That's not good. Then now he's fighting with the former Alabama offensive coordinator, the now Maryland coach. Michael Axley. They're, yeah, they're going back and forth about who actually picked the plays, who set up the game plan. So there's just a lot of stuff around Michigan, which gets me into the one headline that I really wanted to bring up. And it was too much Jim Harbaugh, not enough Michigan football. And I feel like that's going to lead the entire season. Jim has not figured out a way to make Michigan the brand that they think they are. Jim hasn't figured out a way to have them beat Ohio State or Michigan State, really. I think he's like two and six since he's gotten there. 
So if the Michigan man wants to get to Michigan and not have any part to do with anybody on campus, it's all about him and his khakis and taking his shirt off and jumping in pools and spend, having sleepovers with recruits. It's too much Jim Harbaugh all around, which makes me get into my fake headline for the end of the year, which is after another tumultuous season featuring key losses at home to Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh part ways. Wow, you think you think Jimmy could be gone this year? What what record would they have to have for them to fire Jim Harbaugh? Realistically, I think if they're on the outside looking in and they lose to Ohio State again, let's say let's say they win, they they're undefeated going to Ohio State and they lose that game again to lose out on the opportunity to go to the Big Ten championship. I think Michigan's had enough because there's another part of this. It's not just the coaching part; it's the Jim Harbaugh part. They are already tired of him. Yeah, but you think they can go eleven? and one probably still be in a top of the line bowl game and then can Jim I don't see it they'd have to go like seven and five eight and four for them to realistically can him. champ he would be three and eight at that point against Ohio State I mean, Michigan he has State. not beat Ohio State at all he's winless against Ohio State and that's kind of what I see yeah. kind of see with Jared's there's a little bit of credence to what Jared's saying there it's because Ohio State has a new head coach if he loses to Ryan Day in the first year Ryan Day being there wow where do Michigan fans look to and be like, yep, yeah, we, this is definitely the guy we want leading our team. Like, even at 11-0, he can't finish a job and beat the team, beat Ohio State to g- even get to Indianapolis. Plus, we're not even talking about – like, we haven't even got to Penn State yet. But, like, the East you, – you make one mistake against one of those top three teams or Michigan State, and you're out. You're done. No, 100%. It's, it's a super difficult division, and I think – so here, here's where I – and we'll get to it because I have Ohio State. So when we get to Ohio State, you guys will see where I think they are. But Michigan is – this is kind of like that move this this past offseason you make as a kind of a Hail Mary. You completely change the offensive system as a Hail Mary attempt to write the course. I mean, wh- when, is, when has John, or Jim Harbaugh ever been a spread guy? Right. Never. When has so Jim Harbaugh it, given up the opportunity to do any sort of coordinating on offense? That too. There's just a lot at play of like things could go wrong very, very quickly for Michigan. And I think Jer's got a very good point in that it could go super wrong, super quick. And then Michigan just needs to cut ties. Jared, you know, by by chance, I'm putting you on the spot, but do you know how much is left on Jim Harbaugh's contract? I, I literally have no idea. I'm sure it's a lot of money. That's maybe the only reason why he's still there. I think he has enough recruiting juice to kind of keep bringing in top talent but i just don't think they can ever get over the hump if he doesn't kind of take a back seat and he's comfortable doing that all right i think jared i like the first prediction coming in hot to kick things off in big time preview wise champ we'll throw it to you who do you want to start talking about uh, I won't go with one of my big boys yet because we started off with Michigan. I'll go with a team that is probably going to f- be finishing on the lower end of the West Division, and that's Illinois. Uh, my headline is Illinois fields concerns <laughs> surrounding their quarterback controversy. So as everybody knows, Isaiah Williams is an incoming freshman for Illinois. He is what everybody thought was going to be their quarterback but now all of a sudden they're talking about him not being their quarterback this year, not starting the season as their number one guy. Literally makes no sense to me. Have you watched the quarterbacks that Illinois has been putting out the last few years? 
Uh, right now, it's you know it's a three-man race between MJ Rivers, Isaiah Williams, or Matt Robinson. Robinson's also a freshman. Rivers is a returner. I, I just see them picking the wrong guy because it's Illinois. I just, I don't see them picking the right guy this year. Maybe they eventually go to Isaiah Williams. But I don't see it right now, and I think that's going to end up hurting them in the long run. And we'll go ahead, DC. You you don't trust Levy Smith? No, especially with offense. <laughs> you don't. You can't trust Levy with offense. So, I mean, Illinois right now has obviously been awful under Levy Smith um, with this quarterback controversy, quote unquote. Right now, I just feel like they're going to make the wrong decision, and that goes to my future headline, which is. Illinois makes the wrong QB choice as Lovey Lovey Smith is fired after a disappointing <laughs> three and nine season. He just signed an extension. I, I it doesn't matter if Lovey Smith wins three or four games again, like we talked about a few weeks ago. There's no way they can keep him. I mean that this is year five of Lovey Smith. He's had four horrid seasons. If they have another three and nine year and he doesn't make the right decision and play Isaiah Williams from the get go, Lovey's got to go. I don't know what Illinois is supposed to do anymore. Like, I don't. I <laughs> I mean, they they got a four-star quarterback recruit in Isaiah Williams, and now they're talking about not playing him right from the beginning. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I mean, Lovey didn't play Kyle Orton for all those years, and everybody knew there was magic in that beard, so this isn't shocking at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, again, Illinois has been ever since Juice Williams left in that like 05 run against Ohio State where they went to and they beat them and they went to the Rose Bowl under Zucker. I don't I don't know what Illinois is doing in a lot of their programs and their athletics. They're trying to figure it out, but they should definitely be better. But if they have a con- quarterback controversy, that means they don't have a quarterback at all. And they've been basically starting a running back back there for the last couple of years. So God knows what Illinois is going to do, but it's going to be a lot of losing again. But those fans don't really care anymore anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's they've kind of they stopped showing up. It's that's kind of why I wanted to get them out of the way first, so we can <laughs> you know have some more po- not necessarily positive, but at least some more things to talk about because we don't really give a shit about Illinois, and their own fans don't really give a shit about Illinois. So their fans care about the Bears on Sunday. That's what they're all pining for. So yep. true. Let's move on. I'll take over next. I'm gonna choose Purdue. The headline that I chose for Purdue: Purdue football. It's all about the big boys, the offensive line. Now, that's not something you normally think to expect to see when you're talking about Purdue football and Jeff Brom and the high-octane offense. But as I kind of dug through this through this story on Hammer and Rails, it kind of it made sense as to why this is kind of a big thing for Purdue football going into the season, right? They have all the weapons. They have Jeff Brom as a play caller who is going to do great things, kind of getting the offense, who's done great things, getting the offensive going. But if they don't have guys in the depth and talent up front to block, the offense isn't going to do anything. The offense, they're not going to be able to win games. They don't have that depth. And kind of as this piece goes through, it just makes the case of like, they're not very proven up front. And so there's a lot of question marks at how well the def- the offensive line can hold up for a quarterback who's been hurt. And I mean, their most experienced offensive lineman is literally hurt both knees in the past two seasons. That's not so great. that's, that's how you're relying on it. So, and that kind of leads perfectly into my fake headline for the season, how it goes settled in boilers, ready for boilers, ready for a 2020 division run. Wow. So I think last year it was all about Brom leaving for Louisville, leaving for Tennessee, getting all these other jobs. He eventually just settled in. He's in. He's in for the long haul at Purdue. 
Now it's time to build that depth on the offensive line. I don't think it's going to be this year. They're not going to have kind of the depth to really contend with the Iowa's and I think even Nebraska is going to be improved in Wisconsin. And I mean, it's going to be a tough division and I think you need to have depth to be successful. And I just don't think Purdue has it. And so I think the future kind of starts for Purdue in 2020. And now that Brahm is there, he can start recruiting and getting recruits trust that he's going to be there for the long haul. And kind of that's how I kind of think Purdue is going to go. Yeah. They're going to be really, really tough. Don't get me wrong. They're going to score a lot of points. They, they scare me every time we play them, but from an actual competing for the Big Ten division, the Big Ten West division, I just think they're a year away, probably. I they might even be longer than that. But Brom and Purdue, the where they're at, DC, going to your point, like from a gambling perspective, I just want to take Purdue getting points at all times because they're just that team that somehow is always going to stay in it. They're going to win a couple of those games that they should have never won, or at least go down to the wire with. He's of all the coaches in the Big Ten that like aren't the big names. Like, if you compare him to, like, P.J. Fleck, maybe even Frost, we'll see a little bit what he what he's able to do this year with Nebraska. But, like, Brom's one of those guys that, like, I actually believe in, and I think that he's going to do the right things at Purdue to get them in that, that middle tier where they're going to always be scrappy and they can maybe have one of those, like, one in every four or five-year runs where they're in it. Yeah, when when Brom was uh, rumored to go to either Tennessee or Louisville, I I was ecstatic. Same. Like I was like, yeah. get him out of the Big Ten because he, I mean, you just that offensive loan. I mean, the last two years they've beaten Iowa. I mean, it's plain and simple. They've beaten our ass the last two years. Two years ago, the game wasn't even close. It was an absolute blowout. Last year, Iowa made it close, but they their offense has been too much for Iowa to handle, and specifically with Iowa, but. I mean, yeah, they're they're building something good up there in Purdue. I was happy to hear that he was possibly leaving. I'm a little scared. I I can definitely see them being a contender in 2020. Maybe an outside contender this year. Maybe an you know an eight or nine win team this year on the fringes of contending for a West title. Do you guys think before we move on? Do you guys think he's now going to be at Purdue for a long time? No. If he said no to his I alma do. mater, I mean, if he was leaving, it would be for his alma mater. I mean, where else is he going to go? That, and that's my point. That's why I think he's settled in. He, he's going to build something at Purdue. But, Jared, why do you disagree? What if USC opened up? Well, according to you, USC and the Pac-12 doesn't matter. So that wouldn't be that good of a job. I admitted that USC and Oregon matter. I said the rest of it doesn't. Oh, okay. I'm glad you clarified that. I mean, but seriously, USC's gonna, the job's going to open up. Like, why wouldn't he leave Purdue to go to USC? That's a tease for, for me for later if you don't. If you want to get back to that in a little bit later, a different team that I have in my in our previews. Matt Campbell. Maybe. Just maybe. Jerry, why don't you take the next team? I think you'll go again. Um, I'm going to go, since you brought up Purdue, I'm going to go with their in-state rival, Indiana. Okay. Chaos now, team. The Hoosiers. The You're who, one of your who, favorite non-Iowa teams, right, Jerome? That's right. That's right. So the headline that I found... <laughs> I found two, which one of them made me laugh. One was Indiana football will not win nine games in 2019. Stop fooling yourself, which I don't know who's telling themselves that Indiana's going to win nine games. Have they won nine <laughs> games ever in a season? I feel like this writer literally saw one person on Twitter say they're going to win nine games, and he personally decided to attack them. <laughs> but the real one I found was, and this is more likely, is can the Hoosiers find a way back to a bowl game in 2019? Now, when it comes to Indiana, 
So they have one of the top running backs in the country and the Big Ten in Stevie Scott. Uh, he ran for like over 1,100 yards last year. But the problem is Indiana being Indiana as always is they have a quarterback controversy, despite the fact that they had a guy that was statistically up there last season in, in yards, total yards and touchdown passes like that. So there's three guys that are trying to battle for it. Nobody knows what's really going to happen. They have a new offensive coordinator. The coach decided to not be the defensive coordinator anymore. And on top of that, they're in the Big Ten East. And they have to go and play. I think they're at, let's see here, they're at Wisconsin, they're at Penn State. It's just a terrible, terrible schedule for Indiana. So for them to win six games and get back to the bowl game is going to be tricky, and it's all going to come back down to that final game against Purdue for the old Oaken Bucket. And my fake headline is this, Indiana wins the old Oaken Bucket and first bowl berth under Tom Allen. Wow. So he, you do not believe in Purdue is basically what you're saying. I don't believe in Purdue this year. Like you said, D.C., Purdue's one of those teams that I just kind of researched on my own because I was curious. I don't believe in them this year. I, believe in them is a, a weird word. Like, do are they a bowl team? Yes. But I think Indiana is going to—they were close last year to winning it. They let a couple games go down the stretch. I think Indiana has the running back and a quarterback they'll figure out towards the end of the season and a defensive coach who's going to get the defense right to be able to contend and get to the bowl game again. Isn't that kind of contradicting yourself, though? If you think Brom is good enough to go to USC, but he can't beat Indiana, like, you kind of have to make up your mind there, bro. I agree with Champ, actually, just, a lot. <laughs> like, well, come on. It's it's not it – can't, you can't have both of those things. Why if can't he's good I? En- if he's good enough to take the USC job, that means Purdue is probably a 9 or 10 win team, which means, of course, one of them is going to be against let Indiana. Me, let me rephrase Champ's question because I think you can have both things, cause, but why would USC – Hire Brom coming off of a loss after to losing Indiana. to Indiana. Exactly. Maybe Thank that's you. his third loss of the season, and he ended up beating Ohio State and Iowa. But that's the last game of the year. You think they're going to be? Oh, well, look at this great First hire all, we made at Brom after he lost to Indiana. He lost, maybe it's a they, they, it's a forty-five forty-two game. Indiana kicks a field goal to win it. Like this, first of all, it's a rivalry game. So let's not pretend that Indiana doesn't show up to these games against Purdue. And on top of it, like, what does that game really have to do with with Brom being able to coach and recruit and sell USC on the fact that he's going to be able to bring in top end talent? If he's doing because it at if, Purdue, he could do it at USC. If you're bringing in top end talent, you're probably beating Indiana. Well, I mean, Iowa brings in top end talent. They still somehow lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. So, I mean, what that doesn't happen. I mean, it happens, but it's also the last game of the year. So riding a high there, probably he's not getting hired for another job if they lose to Indiana. By the way, I didn't say he's going to leave this year. I said at some point he's going to leave. You guys are just taking the USC example a little to the extreme. All right, champ. Let's get all right. Let's get off Indiana, champ. What's your next team? All right, I'm going to go uh, to East Lansing. I'm going to go with Michigan State as my next team. Uh, my headline: Michigan State had one of the worst offenses in the country in 2018 but the wide receiver depth in 2019 could change that and i thought to myself michigan state and wide receivers you know what i don't really see a lot of good wide receivers at michigan state so how is this depth going to be very good this year and then i looked into some stats of michigan state receivers and it proved my point the receivers on michigan state are not very good at all That's part of the reason why they were bad last year, and they even lost their best receiver from last year going into this year. 
So I don't think this <laughs> this headline is at all going to be true. This also goes to show with Brian Lewerke, 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 I don't know how you actually Lewerke. say it. Lewerke, I mean, he, the guy can't stay healthy, so you need a quarterback to get the ball to these receivers. I don't see that happening. I think Michigan State's in for a down year, boys, and I, I don't see the wide receivers as being like a strength for the Spartans. I, I don't know what you guys think, but that's how I read that. What's your headline. What's your fake headline? My fake headline is Spartans offense wasn't consistent enough to be a factor for the West race in 2019. So, and, and I think we we joke that Mark D'Antonio just always copies Kirk Ferentz and everything that he does. But I do feel that there's some credence to that. Michigan State's good when they're ground and pound. They're playing tough defense. If they're relying on on wide receivers, it's kind of troublesome. And I, I'm with that's, you, champ. It's exactly what I thought when I saw that headline. It just stood out to me. Like, Michigan State and wide receivers, like, the last great wide receiver at Michigan State, Plexico Burris, maybe? I mean, when you think of Michigan State, you don't think of, like, this great wide receiver group. So when I saw that headline, I thought the same thing. Like, maybe we should be grounding and pounding, talking about the run game and their usually good offensive line and defensive line. But that wasn't mentioned in this headline. Yeah, I just, it sort of feels like Michigan State, like, this is a, a huge, huge critical year. I have not, like, we let Champ do the research on Michigan State this year. It doesn't feel to me like there's they have enough pieces to resurrect and like take that momentum swing back up that Michigan State needs to do to get back on track. It sort of feels like they're in kind of a a valley kind of performance wise, and maybe Mark D'Antonio is not around for much longer. Yeah, I I mean L.J. Scott's gonna be a big loss for them. We I mean we went all the way back to the 2015 big 10 championship game and that's how long he's been there for he's you know moved on now that running back group has a lot to prove well champ i'm glad you brought that up because the last michigan state did have some receivers for a while 2014 2015 it was tony lippett and aaron burbridge who was featured and prominently talked about by everybody's non-favorite announcer gus johnson he he basically jerked off burbridge for the entire broadcast yeah, and I think he had like one or two Des, catches because our DB King shut, his, shut ass his ass down. down in the championship game. Exactly, but um, no, going to your Michigan State point, DC. Like, I, it feels like Michigan State's kind of been left behind. Like, we do joke about the fact that he likes to copy Kirk Ferentz, but I feel like Michigan State, since that game, has kind of fallen off, and they just continuously want to do what they want to do. Where Iowa is starting to like open their horizon a little bit, do a little bit more, be a little more creative, have more people take control. I don't think D'Antonio is that type of coach. No, I agree with you 100%. And I feel like he's – I think Kirk is is older, so he's, like, more willing to and – he, and he surrounded himself with a bunch of younger assistants who have opened his eyes to more modern ways. I don't know the Michigan State coaching staff well enough, but I have a feeling that's a lot of people who have been around D'Antonio for a long time and won't bring him new ideas and yeah. challenge him. That's right. All right. 100% agree. Let me – let's take a quick break. And then I'll get into my next team, and then we'll kind of go through the rest of the of the Big Ten. We'll be right back. And we are back. We are previewing the Big Ten plus Iowa State here on Spoko Radio. I'm up next. I'm going to do Maryland. I'm going to keep my heavy hitters for later in the show. Maryland, again, we don't need to spend much time on Maryland because I don't think they're going to be very good. But I did find this headline that I think was very interesting. Mike Lockley is the new head coach there. He was a coach at Maryland previously. 
But this headline is Maryland hopes transfers from Clemson and Ohio State can bring winning tradition. So that's all you need to know as where Maryland is right now is they're just trying to build a winning mentality and winning tradition. If you go into the story, it, it was, I believe, the Washington Post. If you go into the story, they talk about how these guys from Clemson and Ohio State are literally showing these guys how to practice, how to hold, to keep their locker Jesus. clean. Like that's how basic we are right now with Maryland in getting them on the right level trajectory to be successful in just football, not even the Big Ten. So they have a ways to go. And my headline is is not very serious, but this is kind of how I feel Maryland's going to go this season. Maryland secret looking, secretly looking for AAC invite in hopes to win football games. <laughs> and I think, truthfully, if that was an, if it was on the table, I think everyone would be for it, except for Maryland losing all the money that they'd lose by leaving the Big Ten. But if I just don't see how they're going to be able to build anything winning in the Big Ten East if they're not even able to keep their lockers clean. And it's going to be so hard i think to me to for them to win any games really this year other than the handful they have a pretty easy non-conference schedule and other than that i don't see many wins in that schedule for them so it's i mean mike locks is in for a, a rough rough year one Ed, in, in Maryland. Ed reed said it perfectly if you you know the people that clean up and pay attention to the smallest details are end up being champions and obviously maryland is just not even caring to focus on even a big detail out on the field the, the Maryland's been a dumpster fire with Rutgers ever since they've come into the league. I have a similar style headline for Rutgers. We'll get to them next, DC. But it's just an embarrassment at this point with those two teams. It, it's it's tough. What do you got? Champ? Yeah, it's it's bad. They're they're probably a two, maybe three win team if they win all three of their non conference games. It's going to be an ugly year. The SVP, enjoy watching your Maryland Terrapins <laughs> wow. suck this year. All right, Jay, you want to get into Rutgers? Yeah, let's get into Rutgers and get them over with. My headline that I found was Chris Ash still seems to be on the hot seat with Rutgers football despite huge buyout number, which everybody knows that when you start getting to buyout numbers with your head coach, things are in a terrible place. Tom Crean comes to mind. Kirk Ferentz a couple years comes to mind. When all the fans can't figure out a way to buy out their coach and they want him gone, things are rough but I don't blame them because at this point Chris Ash just coached a 1-11 team and he's 7-29 for his career there Rutgers is an absolute dumpster fire they're a trash heap they are awful what if you gave a Rutgers student a multiple choice question with four different names of their head coach do you think what percentage of their student body could name their football coach uh, if, it was a, if it was a multiple choice question 33%. That might be a little high, bro. <laughs> I would say it's about 20%. I mean, nobody cares about Rutgers. I'm sorry, Rutgers, but it's <laughs> you might be the worst team in the Big Ten. That's saying something with Maryland and Illinois also in your conference. Not, Not good. good. I mean, there's, there's legitimately three wins on their schedule, maybe, and that's Liberty, Illinois, and UMass. Jerry, do you have a, did UMass, you have a fake headline for them? UMass is tough. I do have a fake headline. It goes right into what Champ said last. My fake headline is buyer's remorse. What if Jim Delaney brought in Syracuse from the Big East instead of Rutgers in 2009? <laughs> that might be a real headline somewhere, I mean, actually. That honestly could be a real headline. Like, Syracuse would be do so much more for the Big Ten than Rutgers. They have the same East Coast. Everybody talks about this East Coast, adding the this market. East Coast. 
I mean, Penn State adds enough with the East Coast, and then you had a Syracuse. Syracuse was a top 10 team at one point last year. They're, they would be a nice addition to the Big Ten. Syracuse is exactly what I think we thought we were getting with Maryland. Now, let that sink in for a second. Like, Maryland basketball isn't where Maryland basketball should be at this point with the Big Ten. Maryland football isn't even close, and Syracuse is pretty solid at both. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Bayheim would look lovely in the Big Ten Conference. Plus, you'd have your alumni base, you'd be half working at ESPN, so you'd always be in the, in the conversation from a coverage standpoint. That yeah. is true. Very good point. We'd have Northwestern and Syracuse, which are the two. We'd <laughs> have a monopoly. where they're from. Big J's. Yep. Big J journalism right there. All right. I will jump into my next team now since we talked about the great Rutgers team. I'm going to go with Minnesota. And the headline I found was Gophers D coordinator Joe Rossi sees big-time improvement from defense in 2018. So I thought to myself, Minnesota's defense wasn't actually that bad last year. They were actually a pretty solid group. I looked up, I verified this by looking up some stats. They only gave up 26 points a game, which ranked right in the middle of the pack nationally and actually towards the top half of the Big Ten. It wasn't a bad thing. Their passing against the pass, they were actually very good. The one thing they struggled with was the run game. They couldn't stop the run, so they're going to need to improve on stopping the run. So then I did a little deeper dive. They did lose a lot of guys, so that's not going to help them with their defense this year. Uh, I don't see them. I don't understand. What my point was, I didn't understand the headline. Like, they're actually probably going to be worse defensively than they were this year. And Rossi's saying how they want he sees improvement over an already pretty good defense from last year. What, what, what do you guys think about this? I, I think personally, right, they're a younger team, so that trajectory is hopefully – the coach is hopefully seeing improvement because they, they've been there for a while. They're establishing their roots. Everyone thinks Minnesota is going to be pesky. Maybe is that a good word to describe? That's a good. Well, I mean, Vegas thinks they're going to be good. I mean, they have a higher chance of winning the Big Ten West than Iowa. they with their latest bet. We we play the game with Kirk Ferentz's Kirk in translation. We're trying to translate his quotes to the media and what he really tries to mean by that. It could very well just be coach speak, right? Trying to try and talk up his guys, instill some confidence. I I'm kind of with you, champ. It's kind of hard to see, but it could just be coach speak. I think yeah. it's coach speak and the fact that the the way they ended their season with that bowl, that big bowl win and beating Wisconsin finally for the first time in God knows how long. I think people are riding super high with Minnesota right now, but that team is super young. I think the stat I saw was like half the roster is either first or second year players. Yeah, and teams like that don't win in the Big Ten West. I'm sorry, they just and don't. they don't. And it and you're you can't be expecting a huge improvement defensively from a team that's lost a lot of defensive starters mm-hmm. and is so young. Like you said, I mean, it just the headline itself didn't make sense to me. I'll go with my my fake headline with uh, with this, and it's kind of had a little fun with it, like you guys have had with some of yours. I did. P.J. Fleck rose Rossi out of town after a <laughs> subpar 2019 season <laughs> defensively. I like that one. That's a good one. But, yeah, that was good, champ. Way to get creative, let's baby. Let's use the roll your boat shit because he likes to talk about it so much. So he's going to roll, roll him right out of town. I will say Minnesota has the feel, that same similar feel to what D.C. was talking about with Purdue to me. Like, I feel like they're that team that's like, I know people are starting to predict them this year, but I think they're that team that's always a year away. 
Like next year is going to be the year they're going to get a little more heat. I think as those actual because for what PJ Fleck is and isn't, he does have some talent coming through there yeah. right now. And they're getting he, experience, which we all know when you get experience, the better you he end up should have later. talent coming in there because he literally sends he sends offer letters to everybody in the entire country. I think I got an offer letter from from Minnesota a few weeks ago. He yeah, does. I did two to play fullback. I mean, and I and, said I'm a safety. Maybe this is why Flack and the defense and Rossi thinks the defense could be better. Maybe these top end recruits, these freshmen and sophomores that are coming into play, were better than these veterans that they've had. I mean, Minnesota Gophers football has not been very good the last four or five years. So maybe these, even though these guys were seniors last year and played in, under the system, maybe they weren't that good. This is where coaching is key for me. And if I've learned one thing from watching the last couple seasons of Last Chance U, you can get all these great players to come into your campus. But if you don't have the coaching staff to actually knows how to solidify and harness that talent, it's just going to be a hodgepodge of garbage. And I, I just I want to see it from PJ Fleck and this coaching staff because I don't think he's got that part of his game. I think he's a great salesman. I think he's a great kid that gets people fired up. But I don't see that translating into getting kids to where they need to be to be successful football players it's the execution side of it that you need yep. to see for sure i think that's totally fair all right we have mostly the big 10 west plus penn state and iowa state left and i have ohio state we're gonna knock ohio state off right yes. now they are my i have i have ohio state the quote that i picked from them comes from the athletic it says despite coaching change expectations remain sky high at Ohio State. This is from their State of the Program series for Ohio State, talking about how Ryan Day came in under huge, huge expectations. And pretty much if you Google Ohio State, that's literally every single story is about expectations with Ryan Day. But what I liked about this piece and why I picked it specifically is it goes through the rest of the roster. And I found it funny that he has such high expectations and everyone's kind of leery of, of picking them but when you go through their roster, it is stacked. Loaded. I mean, Ohio State, they don't – I mean, say what you will about their quarterback situation with Justin Fields and running a whole bunch of other quarterbacks out. He is still probably the most talented quarterback they've had in at least four or five years. And when you take that with all the other talent that they consistently have, the depth that they have – Ryan Day, as a play caller, it, there's a reason they trust him for their job. He kept the recruits they had coming in, and for, we have our sources over there who told us like everyone just buys what this guy is selling. They just they buy. They're all in with this guy. Yep. And to me, it leads me to my my fake quote. It's beautiful day. Buckeyes are back on top of the college football world. I really do think Ohio State's winning the national championship this year. They have the quarterback. They have the massive offensive line. They're always stacked in the defensive line. They're stacked receiver at running. I mean, they are stacked everywhere down. If you go through this article in The Athletic, you read that. You tell me how they're not winning a national championship. Yeah. They have everything that they possibly need, and there's, to me, no reason why I don't see why they can't win a national championship. Urban got them to this point where they're almost too big to fail. These, these kids and this talent, is it's 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 crazy how much they have. And like you said, you see, that was the best point you made. The fact that this coach that was there, he keeps the job, and he comes there and keeps all those kids at Ohio State, that's ginormous. That means those kids really do trust him, that he's going to do the same, if not more, than Urban Meyer was going to do for them. And not having Urban Meyer there, it removes a distraction. Yeah, totally. It, it's, it's as simple as that to me. To me, is, is Urban Meyer one less distraction on campus right now for that team? 
Ohio State was amazing last year and they had all that distraction. Like, yes. let alone like what they're going to do this year with just a clean slate and a brand new quarterback that you mentioned is going to be lights out. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And that source that you mentioned earlier, I was talking to him about it earlier. He thinks that Ohio State's going to be ranked number three going into the Penn State game at home. And they think he thinks he's going to win. And then it goes into Michigan for the rights for the Big Ten uh, East over there. So we probably have a number two Ohio State versus whatever Michigan. Yeah, they haven't. He hasn't beaten them yet. And like you said, DC, Ohio State is absolutely stacked. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we did the uh, win over under wins it's a slam dunk they're 10 and a half right now they i mean they're they're gonna win 11 12 games just in the regular season let alone including a potential big 10 championship bowl game i mean ohio state i wouldn't be surprised at all if they ran the table and went 12 and all this year totally agree all right jerry let's uh get into the big 10 west all right so or are you sorry you have sorry you have penn state left yep so i'm gonna go to penn state um the headline that I found was Penn State's youth, and youth is in quotes, not that youthful and not that big of a deal. Now, hmm. the reason this headline stuck out to me is we all know that Penn State's basically returning and has a top five defense, if not a top two defense returning for them. But there's a ton of holes to fill on the offensive side of the football. But on top of that, James Franklin in the last like two or three years has basically brought in a top 10 recruiting class to just fill in behind these guys. So gone are the days of Saquon Barkley, gone are the days of Miles Sanders, but the guys behind him, they have four running backs right now that are basically all four-star, five-star athletes that are ready to go. They have this new quarterback that basically in camp this year, they're having a quarterback competition. He stood up and told the entire team, I'm going to do it just as much, if not more, than Trace McSorley did. And for a guy to stand up after those three years of what McSorley did and have that type of attitude, you know that speaks to me. So the fact that Penn State doesn't have all this youth but does have youth, these kids are ready to go. This is great talent that Franklin's recruited, and I think they're ready to go. There's, so I was listening to podcasting and played Nobody, and they are talking about recruiting, and they are talking about which head coaches could just inter- basically lose their entire staff and still be able to recruit at a high level. James Franklin was one of the people that they mentioned, and I think that – just goes to show you right he's lost good assistance but he's still recruiting at just an elite level that the young talents the same thing with with ohio state granted it's a it's a lesser degree than what ohio state's doing but they bring in good talent and you just have waves and waves and waves of it that just you don't have to go through a rebuilding process because they get that they're already talented and they just get that experience on the fly and they are able to contribute at a high level immediately yep and one of the yeah Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I think Penn State's the second best team in the East. Yep. Everybody keeps talking about Michigan and all this love for Michigan. To me, it's Penn State is that is that number two team right behind Ohio State. James, put it this way. James Franklin is one of the few coaches in the Big Ten that doesn't rub me the wrong way. So that's, that's got to tell you a lot about my predict, my thoughts about James Franklin. He's a qual. I think he's a quality coach. He recruits his ass off. He seems like a quality guy just within the in in the building with his players. His players all seem to love him. I think Penn State's in store for a big year. I wouldn't be surprised if they were, you know, a 10-win team at all this year. No, not at all. But that gets me into my fake headline. And it's after a wonderful season, Penn State once again on the outside looking in after Ohio State victory over Michigan. <laughs> 
So, mm, so you think they're going to fall one? They're going to lose the head-to-head game, and they're going to fall one game out of the making the Big Ten championship. Yep, because I'm with you, champ. I think they are the number two team in that division. I wouldn't be shocked if they did somehow win that game against Ohio State because I do think Penn State has that type of talent. They are a beast in waiting, and if Ryan Day does have some sort of fall-off or he can't get those kids to that type of level that an Urban Meyer did, I think Penn State's going to be that next team that's going to be taking the East by storm. I don't think it's Michigan. I don't think it's – Ohio State's going to be there. But Penn State's ready to go. Real quick, this is kind of a separate conversation. But if they ever did realign the Big Ten divisions, if they put Penn State and Ohio State in separate divisions, what stops that from being the repeat Big Ten championship game for the next six years, oh, seven years, ten years? It's going to be Alabama, Florida, or all over again. It, so I hope they never they never realign the divisions. Keep keep all those schools in the East. Let them figure it out, and the West will just be there. I don't see how you could ever split those two up, though. I, you can't ever sleep Michigan, Michigan and Ohio State, so then you can't not splitting up. It's just it's hard. Yeah, that's why Michigan State's got to move again. Yeah. We'll see. All right, champ. Let's go to the next team. All right, I'm gonna go. Eh, let's go with Northwestern. I have two teams left. We'll go with the Wildcats. My headline is Wildcats return multiple starters to defend Big Ten West title, and. I don't think they're going to be defending shit this year. I think <laughs> Northwestern is going to be a five-win team this year. I know they have all this hype with their quarterback from Clemson coming in, Hunter Johnson, blah, blah, blah. According to Hunter Johnson, he has as much talent at Northwestern as he had at Clemson. Yeah, I know. We talk, debated that on Twitter this week with some people, but I just don't see it. I don't – I. I just think Hunter Johnson's going to be a bust. That's basically what I'm saying. I understand he was a Clemson recruit, but this is so atypical of Northwestern to get a quarterback like this. I just don't think he's going to be very good, and that just may be me hating Northwestern because inside my heart I kind of do. But I don't think Northwestern's going to be a very good good team. That leads me to my up, you know, my future quote: Coach Fitz can't get things rolling. As cats finish five and seven and out of a bowl game. Wow! I, I don't. I think they're a five-win team this year. I think it's a down year for Coach Fitz. I think he's getting a little cocky. I mean, this is Northwestern, Coach Fitz. You're t- you keep talking like you're you know these upper echelon teams, and I think he's getting a little cocky. He's getting a little ahead of himself, and I think he's going to get slapped down to earth this year, and they're going to be a five and seven team. I, I think they're one of those teams that are very much like Iowa. They win those cl- when they're good. They win those close games, but those close games are so so fickle. And I, I agree with Champ. I think they don't go Northwestern's way this year as often. And I think that they're a five, six, maybe seven win team. But they're I mean the Big Ten West is so tough that they can't even they can't really hope to just slop games up and hope they're going to come out with wins this year. I don't think. Yeah, and we went through their schedule early on in the year, and it's really difficult. Like, their first seven games, they could easily go one and six, two and five. And that means you're going to pretty much have to win out to make a bowl game. And I don't see it. I mean, they got a tough schedule. Fitz is getting a little, a little too cocky for my liking. I don't give two shits how many wins they end up with as long as the five, six, seven, eight wins is one of them is an Iowa. Agreed. As long as that's the case, Northwestern can go and do Northwestern things by themselves on the north side of Chicago and have a gay old time being Chicago's Big Ten team. But as 
Don't don't give them the the benefit of being Chicago's Big Ten team. They are Evanston's Big Ten team. They are not close Neither to Chicago. Neither is Illinois, and, and they don't care. And, and if they're if they're Chicago's such Chicago's Big Ten team, they'd be able to sell out their own fucking stadium. They can't even do that, and it's the smallest stadium in the Big Ten. They have to have opposing teams' fans come in there to sell it out. When Iowa plays there this year, it's going to be 60-70% Iowa fans, like it is every time they play in Evanston. They can't even sell out. Their students don't care. They don't even show up. They're not Chicago's Big Ten team. It's a bullshit slogan. Again, as long as Iowa doesn't lose that stupid game, because it's going to be stupid, I don't care what Northwestern does. Fitzgerald can do whatever the hell he wants to do. Don't care as the great jay cutler said <laughs> cut <Cutty>. it <laughs> all right i have two teams left and i'm really torn on who to go with here i'm gonna think i'm gonna go with the hype train that is nebraska and the headline that i picked it's a little unfair to 24 24 7 sports but it is espn analyst says nebraska will contend for oh national my title God. So I clicked that because it is the hype train kind of completely off the tracks. This story is actually more about ESPN and Dan Orlovsky specifically saying on Get Up a couple weeks ago that he thinks Nebraska is A, back, and B, going to be in the college football playoff. And those are just such wild, wild things to say for, for a team that – how many games did they win last year? Four. Four? Yeah. You, there's no way that they have the jump that they have to make that Scott Frost has to bring this team is just it's so exponentially high that I have not seen them play defense enough to, to justify the hype. So that being said, here's my fake quote. Huskers regain glory. Nine and four finish has fans partying like it's 2010. <laughs> and they wish it was partying like 1995. Well, that would be undefeated and playing for national championships. And so they were going to go with what they had with Bo Pelini, who they just kicked out the door. And to me, that that's a good season for, for Nebraska this oh, season. Oh, for sure. If they go 9-4 and four this season, they are still on track from what Scott Frost said when he first got to, to Lincoln and saying, hey, I got a lot of work yep. to do. Like, he acknowledged the fact that this they were far, far away from being contenders. They can go eight and f- eight and four, win a bowl game, nine and four, and I think eight they'll be insufferable next year. But B, that's a good season for them. And I, I and but my fear is that Nebraska fans will be upset because everyone uh, all over the planet keeps thinking they're going to be in the playoff and they're going to uh, contend for the Big Ten. And I just don't know how the defense is going to get there. And sure, Adrian Martinez is good, but you have to, you need an offensive line. You, you, there has there's more than just being a, one good quarterback, one good player on offense on a football team. You. Ne- He's not going to elevate everybody else around him enough to contend for the Big Ten West. The reason that everybody is on this hype train is because all their tough games are at home. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Their four toughest games, Ohio State, Northwestern, Iowa, and Wisconsin are all in Lincoln. But that doesn't mean they're going to win all four of those games, Nebraska fans and writers that are saying that they're going to the playoff. It's not going to happen. You're not going to go from a four-win team to running the table, including beating Ohio State. They're not beating Ohio State. That run-the-table shit's going to end real quick when they play Ohio State, I believe, in game four of the year. Yeah, if week four they play Ohio State. That, that little dream is going to end real quick. Here's what I think happened. 
So all these like hot takes and these writers and the media, they have to get their predictions in so early and all of them want to get a headline and a click. So all of them are like, hmm, who can I pick for the Big Ten West that's going to get us clicks, make me a, like a, give me some sort of notoriety on Twitter and start a conversation. So all of them sent their Nebraska pick in at the same time, which escalated everything. And now that's why we're all here. I'm with you, and I really like Darren Lofsky. I like him. I think he's he's great on ESPN. He's been great on Twitter to build up to get to ESPN. So I would love to have this conversation with him and just pick his brand and get more than just that click, just that soundbite. I want the full kind of why he thinks Nebraska's really taking that next step. And I, to me, I, I'm just very, very curious, and I just don't see it. I love Scott Frost. I was there for those UCF teams, but he's got to prove it for me to believe it. Just like Champ says with BF – you got to prove it, baby. All right, we got three teams left, one being the Hawkeyes and the Clones and the Badgers. I think we should save Iowa for last. What do you guys think? Got yeah, it. that sounds good. All right, why don't we do Clones before them? So, Champ, why don't you uh, take Wisconsin? All right. For my headline, I have Badgers look to rebound with a new inexperienced quarterback and the best running back in the nation. This headline to me – was this most that made the most sense to me out of all the headlines i found i found this one to make the most sense jonathan taylor is an absolute beast i think he is the best running back in the nation and i think they're going to be very good i'm gonna i'll go to my quote first because then i'll expand on that why i think they're going to be good my future quote is quarterback chase wolf and heisman runner up jonathan taylor <laughs> lead the badgers to a 10 and 2 season and second place in the west wow i i think the badgers are going to be very good this year if if i didn't go to iowa i would pick wisconsin to win the west i know jerome you've said in the weeks past that you're not a big believer in wisconsin but why what's not to believe i think chase wolf is going to take the job I'm not a huge fan of Jack Cohn. He didn't show me much last year in his limited play. He played in four games last year and isn't doing much. I think Chase Wolf's going to win the job. I think they're going to see that he's the better quarterback. Yes, he doesn't have the experience, but I still think they're going to pretty much pull an opposite of what Illinois is doing. They're actually going to play the young guy that has more talent, and this is going to lead them to a 10-2 season. And Jonathan Taylor, again, is going to be runner-up in the Heisman. The guy is an absolute beast. I think he's in for another good year. He's going to continue the traditions of Wisconsin running backs. And, yeah, I think they're going 10-2 and two this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I with you on champ. I, I think I really do think it's Iowa-Wisconsin for the, for the division this year again. I think when you have a running back like Jonathan Taylor, he, he tips the field. So no matter how A.J. Epinesa does it for Iowa – Jay, Jonathan Taylor, he's just such a good running back that it doesn't totally matter who plays quarterback. I'm not going to kind of repeat everything you said, but yeah, but so I just I agree with you, Champ. I think they're going to be good. I still like Iowa more, but Jerry, what do you got? It doesn't matter who plays quarterback, but you know what does matter for a running back? Who in the hell plays offensive line? And four, it's Wisconsin. I understand, but four of their five stars are gone, and Jonathan Taylor had to do a lot of work in the backfield last year. Run the tape. Jonathan Taylor was dodging and breaking tackles a lot last year. There's a reason Alex Hornibrook got his ass kicked every time that Jonathan Taylor wasn't able to run the football. And he also can't catch the football, so he's one-dimensional. People are loading the box on him, and with a brand-new offensive line, I'm just saying 10-2 and two seems a little ridiculous. 
Yeah, but you're talking about how he had to get hit so much in the backfield. Maybe uh, Wisconsin's offensive line wasn't that good last year. Maybe losing four of these five starters is actually going to help uh, Wisconsin's offensive line. They produce offensive linemen like they're candy. I mean, they bring them in. They eat them. They're, 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 these guys are dominant. They're all 6'4", 6'5", 325-pound massive human beings that create these huge holes. And Wisconsin runs the ball 70% of the time. And Jonathan Taylor is the best back in the country. He's going to be a first-round pick, I think. That's how good I'm not I think arguing Jonathan that Jonathan Taylor. Taylor is or isn't good. He's great. He's phenomenal. I think he is the, probably the best back in the country. But I'm just saying, we see how offensive linemen work when you have to replace an entire line. The cohesiveness up front right away is a very difficult thing with a new quarterback and a whole entire new offensive line. That is a tricky thing to get through to start a season. We all know this. We see it. We've seen it. I, I agree with Jared. It's, it's hard to do. But if, if there's any program in the country outside of Alabama who I trust to get that right very, very quickly, it's Wisconsin. I I'm not I agree with you, but I just think ten and two is a very lofty expectation for a team that has to replace that much. I don't. I think Alex Hornibrook was that bad. <laughs> I think Chase Wolf is going to be that much of an improvement over Alex Hornibrook. He's not a good quarterback. Losing Alex Hornibrook is helps Wisconsin. He was horrible. Yes, he had one great game against Iowa last year, but for the most part, he was trash, and he was trash for two years. I agree with that. I can't wait for Alex Hornibrook to start at Florida oh my State. God. That'll be – I feel bad for Florida State if he starts. All right, let's go to Iowa State real quick before we end it on the Hawkeyes. I had the clones. The quote that I picked, again, it's very similar to Nebraska. Iowa State poised to make serious noise in the Big 12. Everyone loves the Cyclones. And as I dug a little bit deeper, everyone always pumps up their defense, being so great, being so great. But that also is caveat with being great in the Big 12. You know what conference doesn't play defense? The Big 12. So being <laughs> great at defense in the Big 12 is like being great at riding a bike when you're 15 years old. Like everyone does that. Like it's not that it's not that impressive. It's just not impressive. Sure they're a good defense. But and sure their defense will carry them in the Big 12. But when everyone's hyping them up Brock Purdy all this this and that he still loses his two biggest playmakers on offense and to me I you as a team that lacks offense if you lose your two top playmakers I need to see who the heck's gonna step up to help Brock Purdy out because he can't do everything by himself and so to me they might make some serious noise and they might actually compete a little bit but here's kind of going back to the tease earlier. Here's my prediction headline for the, for the end of the season. Cyclones look to maintain momentum with new coaching staff. Because I think Matt Campbell, he's going to do as much as he can with the team that he's got this year. And then I think he actually gets offers and he's going to leave. And to me, it's get what you can out of this team and then let's get out of here because it's not going to be easy to replace Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery. That's going to be absolutely devastating for Iowa State fans if he leaves. I mean, they love Campbell so much in Iowa State. If he goes on to another program after this is year four of Campbell, correct? If it's something so, if he if he leaves after this year, it would absolutely be devastating. And, for them. and before before clone fans come after me, I, I, like and with all like, well, he had a job. He had you know he's going to go to Ohio State. He's going to go to the NFL. Did he actually ever have interviews at any of those places, or were they just a, a easy connection to make in the media 
because he had connections to GMs and owners, and he's from Ohio, so the Ohio State connection. I don't think he actually had any serious interviews anywhere. Verbal gif. It's the Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny pointing the pieces together. That's what that all right. thing was. And so, to me, I think if he has success, which I'm not saying Ohio State's not going to have a good year. I think they will have a good year. But I think that is what he's going to parlay. It's very similar to what P.J. Flecked at Western Michigan. He's going to parlay two good years and kind of a tr- upward trajectory into a good job. If USC becomes available, why would Matt Campbell stay in Iowa State when he can go to L.A. and build up a program that will desperately need building with all the talent that he can just get from his backyard? Because Des Moines does things, baby. No, I, hey, I love Des Moines, but L.A., Des Moines. Here's the thing about Iowa State to me. I am very thankful that Iowa gets them early. Because I do believe that they are going to figure their shit out, and they are going to be up there in the Big 12. I do like Iowa State this year. I like them a lot. But like you mentioned, D.C., they have a lot to figure out early before playing in their Super Bowl for the state. And I think Iowa just has too many pieces that are already ready to go while they're playing this figure-out game. And as the Big 12 season comes around, I think that's when pieces start making sense. They solidify their offense, and that's when things start taking off for them. Because that defense is good, but let's not pretend that they're better than Iowa's defense right now. Let's not pretend like they're better than Iowa's offensive line. They're just not. Go down go down to defensive metrics last year. Every single one, Iowa defensively is better than Iowa State. In every single defensive metric that's out there, that matters. You can if Iowa State fans are gonna start sending ones or Iowa State's better than Iowa, I'll send you fifteen other ones that say otherwise. It, it just it they're gonna be good. I'm not I'm not denying that. But let's ease up a little bit on how good Iowa State's going to be this year. Yeah. Just remember though that Jerry picked Iowa State to beat Iowa as their one loss this year. But don't forget that. Hashtag never forget. All right. We have one team left. It is our beloved Hawkeyes, and Jared drew the lucky straw to preview the Hawks. So, Jared, I'll let you take it away. All right, so I have two headlines here. The first, Iowa football, Hawkeye rushing attack, not loved by analysts. And the second headline was, and this is from Mas Casa after the weekend, Iowa football has championship attitude, but so does everyone. And I think both of those pieces have a lot to do with where Iowa is right now. So before I get into any of that, my fake headline going back to that is Iowa football has championship attitude and the championship belt because I think Iowa figures out the running game. I think they have too many pieces on offense. I think Brian Ferentz is going to come out, run that 11 personnel, and have Brandon Smith and Amir smith of our set and Oliver Martin when he finally gets eligible and Nico Reganey running around all over the field. They're going to stretch everything out. They're not going to have the stupid fullback out there and the Iowa offense is finally going to do their part and hold true and average about 38 to 40 points per game for the season i mean that would be (laughs) do you notice do you notice the name he didn't say in all those things he didn't mention nate stanley at all he's going to be kind of important in that (laughs) spreading out with all these receivers like come on now let's mention nate first of all the people know i don't need to mention nate because i think nate's throwing 40 touchdown passes this year i've hyped up nate more than anybody else on the internet for that's true there's there's no fucking way he's throwing 40 touchdowns. Simmer down. Chip, he hypes, he hypes necessarily so much that he just thinks he's automatically running RPOs because he's looking at AJ Epinesa. He is. <laughs> yeah, we don't want him doing that, though. He will he's get not running. Run, he's not I running. Did the same it's a thing. run pass. Either hands it off or he passes it. Okay, that's 
different. Hopefully he just throws it, yes. That's what Carson Wentz did at North Dakota State because Tim Polisek's got a voice, baby. All right. I, I hope so. Let's see. But getting to the realistic part of me, this all stems on Iowa controlling and getting better at the running game like we talked at the front of this show. And if Iowa can figure out a way to have a couple guys that get near 1,000 yards rushing, Iowa offense is going do to be we, great. Do we think that we should have a two-headed attack, or do we want one of these guys to take over as the running back? I like three. No, I like two. I I like three, too. Why does it have to just be two? Let's just rotate them in. Well, you said two. <laughs> That's that, I should have prefaced that <laughs> You question gave us by, a choice of two It should one. have been a multiple-choice question <laughs> with three answers. I only gave you two. Thank you, DC, for thinking outside the box and saying three, because that's what I think. We don't need to have just one, you know, guy running that 80% of the time. Let's rotate the fresh body and keep pounding the ball. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to run the ball with the two tackles we have. Like, it, just keep pounding it. It makes it makes being a fan – this is the part that makes being a fan frustrating is because you see these weapons – and they, they sh- all flash, whether it's in kids' day and doing everyone contributing in different ways. But then when it comes to game time, it's all just the same heavy personnel running the outside zone, being very predictable. When all these pieces can do so many different things and you can be you can create mismatches. You can dictate, and it's not a tempo thing, you can dictate to the defense how they should defend and then attack where they're not well-suited. And to me, that's the biggest thing Iowa football has been lacking and that I hope is a, a big thing that changes going into this season and for the future because the, the personnel is all there. It's arguably, even without Oliver Martin, the most diverse it's been in as long as I can remember. And so there's no reason why that they can't find a way to be successful running the football in other ways than what they've historically done. And I, I, it's, it's going to be the thing all season long. There's many, many ways that they can, they can help their own game. And I think that's what you got to keep an eye on all year. It's going to be hopefully fun to watch. I mean, I, I hope they're going to have some different things than we're used to from Iowa football. That's the big thing, that we need to have different personnel groups, different type of plays, take advantage of what you have, and let's just go get it done. Let's do it. I really like this, guys. We hit all the Big Ten teams. We give you Iowa State, and we got to our Hawkeyes. It's a jam-packed show. We're a little bit longer than we like to be this week, but thanks for sticking with us. Anything else, guys, before we wrap it up? No, I'm good. That was good. Good little. All right. As a reminder, subscribe to the show wherever you guys get your podcast. Share with your friends. Leave us a rating. Follow us on Twitter at BHGP, at Shy People's Champ, at Jerry Sherwin, at Dave Cray. Leave us a voicemail, 224-661-0909. Thanks again to Z for for being our first caller of the show. Uh, We'll talk to you guys again next week. We are so close to football. Go Hawks. Later. Oliver Martin, eligible. (laughs) Oliver Martin, eligible. (laughs) Trick or treat, Iowa City. (laughs) If you don't love it, leave it. USA, number one.